Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with Misa Bukikia. Oh, first shout out today. You're usually lost. I know. How about that? Special. I feel extra special. And Phil Fariska. Hey, everybody. And we have a very special guest, one of our favorite clients in the world uh, from MyrtleBeach.com. You know, Fuel does a lot of work with individual hotels, independents, and flags. But we also do some work with uh, travel destinations, and Cassidy is with MyrtleBeach.com. So welcome to the show, Cassidy Moore. Thank you so much for having me. And the reason Cassidy is here is we are going to be doing the show today on content and how to overcome that dreaded writer's block. And everyone gets it. Everyone has to write content. It doesn't matter what role you have in marketing. At some point in your life, you have to write something down. And at some point, when you have to write something down, you struggle to get started, to finish. Whatever your problems are when it comes to writing content, we're going to talk about that today and we're going to talk about some strategies and tactics to overcome those because Cassidy came from a journalism background. She's done a lot of writing, a lot of editing, and she manages a team now for probably the best destination portal site in the country, I'd say. In terms of traffic, it's right up there with Vegas and New York and some other destinations. So littleoldmetalbeach.com is getting some love today on the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. But before we jump into that, let's talk about what's going on in the news, Misha. All right, so the article I have today is from tnews.com, and they announced the news from Marriott that they are revamping and upgrading their mobile app, which I know we have talked pretty recently about um, you know, hotels and their mobile apps and tying that into their loyalty program. So just a few highlights of the things that they're doing to improve their app include design improvements, personalization and a better tie-in to their loyalty program and the article if you want to check it out obviously we'll link to it in the show notes but it goes into um, just some different perspectives on what they're doing a few examples that they had um, from a loyalty perspective we've talked about how the game is changing it's the new frontier people don't want to wait so many stays to get something free so Marriott's really taking this at heart and one example that they gave is redeeming points for perhaps a coffee on site or just some smaller instantaneous rewards. So that's something they're going to be doing. Another thing that they pointed out is um, when you log into the app, you're going to get a different experience on that initial home screen based on whether you have an upcoming reservation or not, which I think makes a lot of sense. So I think they're definitely moving in the right direction with their app. And, you know, if I stay at a Marriott anytime soon, I'm definitely going to check it out to see how I like it and compare it to some other apps that I've used in the past. I really like that instant gratification, using your points on site, that type of stuff. It, I, that's definitely the For way sure. to go. I mean, we've talked about that multiple times, especially when we have the app conversation here. It's, it, it's a game changer. Yeah, they're, they're creating utility in the app. They're making it actually valuable to the guest, not just something where you can check in with and then never use it again. And that makes sense, right? But these guys have spent so much time and money on their apps. And this is probably the third iteration of their app. And Hilton, I read a stat the other day that Hilton spent $2.5 million developing their mobile app, which is insane because it's mm -hmm. crap. You know, it is not a great app. It, it does some things well. But there's not a lot of value in the app. So I'm glad Marriott's going in this direction. But, I mean, really, with the resources they have, this should have happened five years ago. For sure. And the article actually points out that they took a lot of notes and kind of nod of their head. The fact that 
not with just a mobile app, but in other aspects, like whether it's loyalty or personalization, that Starwood was doing a better job than they were. So they were kind of learning from their acquisition and taking that and kind of rolling it all together. So they're doing a good job from that perspective as well. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, for independent hotels out there that are watching these chains doing the app, the good news is there are there are software solutions out there so you can get great functionality yourself without having to spend $2.5 million. You know, we have an app, Guest Express, that, that has a lot of the same, if not all of the functionality these big guys have. There's a lot of other ones out there too on the market. So you, you, and ours will only cost you $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to buy it for $2 million, they can, but it's only a couple hundred bucks a month. But the, the point is, you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. right? It's just like properties back in the day, they all went out and tried to build their own booking engine. And then they realized, well, you know what? There's guys out there that do this for a living and they do it a lot better and it's a lot cheaper for me to license it as software than it is to buy or have programmers in-house to build my own. And and I think we're seeing that transition going on with mobile apps. A lot of people try to do it themselves in-house, realize it was a pain, especially when iOS 10 comes out and breaks it and now you have to redo it and you've got to have an Android version too. So everyone should have a mobile app. We're seeing great adoption on it, but don't go spending tens of thousands of dollars on it. Go license it from someone. Completely agree. All right, so next news item is actually, it's related to us. Can you believe that? Another shameless plug? Well, yeah, I'm actually a little ashamed of this one, (laughs) but not really. But we just released, we said it in last week's episode, we released a a latest study, and it's a website behavior study. We did this in conjunction with Flip2, who are the uh, guest advocacy platform, really great guys. And what we've done is we pushed out this study. You can get it now. It's live on fueltravel.com slash website study. And you can download it from there. And basically this is packed full of so much cool data. It, it tells you about how people find the website, what they're looking for on a website, what's important to them, what's not important to them, uh, how much time they spend, how many sites they look at. Uh, and it even drills down into things like loyalty, which we've talked about a lot on this show recently because we think it's really important. But what, what matters to them from a loyalty perspective? Is it instant gratification or is it deferred gratification at a greater value? Stuff like that. It, it is such a cool study. It's one of the best ones we've ever put out. We really appreciate the help that Flip2 um, gave us to put this out. We're going to be following up with some uh, blog posts about it and some potentially a webinar but go check that out. It's fueltravel.com slash, slash website study. It's pretty cool. Yeah, if you're a hotel, you're a hotel marketer, you're gonna you're definitely gonna find some good content in there. Yeah, definitely don't if you're in the process of thinking about redesigning your website, go read this before you do it, because it might give you some indication of some things that you want to consider. So uh, that was two shameless plugs. I promise that's all we're gonna do today. So now let's plug you, Cassidy, with a content discussion. Cassidy, again, is from modelbeach.com. She is in charge of all the content development, and this is a robust site. When we've worked with them on their site, this I've been working in this industry for over 15 years, and I tell you, I've never seen a site this big, this comprehensive, and a lot of that is because of Cassidy and her content team that just produce blog after blog that just crushes it on the search engines. So, Cass... We know that a lot of people are writing content, whether that's in the form of blogs, whether that's an email newsletter, whether that's uh, you know even the ad copy on their PPC, whatever it is, 
we've got to write content in this world of digital marketing. Sometimes we run into that issue, and I do this a lot where I have a blog topic and it just, it, I just can't get started. I don't know where to begin, right? So you've developed your strategies over a number of years in the industry. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like how do you overcome some of those roadblocks that people inevitably are gonna run into? Yeah, so absolutely. So thanks again for having me here today. So there's a few things that I like to do as a writer and that I encourage my team to do, you know, especially if they're having trouble and even my kids when they're writing papers for school. So there's like some tricks that writers who, you know, make their living writing do. And the first one I would say is to do your research before you ever put the pressure on yourself to come up with a lead that's going to grab someone's attention or a headline that's going to make somebody excited to read your content. Do all of your research first. So take some notes in bullet point form and have a good starting point for yourself where you're not putting pressure on yourself to come up with something really creative or catchy. So you're trying to do all your research before you even... You don't, you're not doing it as you're writing at all. Right, no. And I mean, you may have to go back and kind of look something up or add to it later, but really I like to try to nail down all the facts that I'm dealing with and not be, you know, stressing about that once I get into the zone of really trying to create good content. Yeah, that that's a mistake I used to make. I used to just try to start writing and, and put my thoughts on paper. And what I've really found is that a lot of things we're writing about today, someone else has written about, especially if we're, we're talking about blog content, right? It, someone else has probably had an angle or thought about it that exists somewhere on the web. So I like to go and, and search for the, the headlines that I'm thinking about this blog topic is going to be about and then go read five or ten articles that someone else has already written and kind of borrow little pieces from each of them, the things that stand out to me and make sure I drive those points home in my article that I'm going to write. Sure. And I think kind of on that point too, Stuart, when you're thinking about it from a search perspective, you want to make sure that obviously, you know, you're not taking everything word for word from someone, but you're looking at what they're doing, looking at what they've done well, and then kind of thinking about how can I approach this from a different new perspective or, you know, what can I do to make this better? Because if you're not going to put everything you have into a piece of content, then there's really not a ton of point in just doing something for the sake of doing it. You yeah. really want it to be robust. And if you're trying to write this to get get it to rank for, say, certain keyword, you need to find out what other people have done. This is that's kind of goes back to our 10x content, right? So find out what everybody else has and make yours 10 times better than what everybody else has. So you're, you're number one, you are the most comprehensive source. Yeah, so Cash, your team adopt, has adopted that same mantra that we have here at Fuel in, in terms of the, came originally, we feel like, from uh, Ram Fishkin at, at Mars, but he talks a lot about 10x. So you want to elaborate on that a little bit? So the concept of 10x content is that, you know, we used to say you need to create good, unique content, but that's not enough anymore. So now you need content that's 10 times better than whatever is ranking well now for your search term. What so if what I write is only 9.5 times better? Is that okay? You got to no. turn it up to 11, Stuart, okay. every time. But yes, yeah, so you want to, you really want to kill it on the content. You want to take a fresh look at something that's already been written about or, you know, in terms of the, um, the travel industry, you really want to connect with the people who are consuming your content in a way that is really going to inspire them to learn more about your brand, learn more about your property, or, you know, in our case, learn more about our destination. So you really want to create that content that has an emotional connection to them, 
um, and that really gets them excited about what you're doing and, and what you're trying to, to get them to learn more about. So you're talking, we, you guys figured out who your audience was once you have a good feeling of who's reading your stuff and who's liking it, sharing it, what have you. You're writing for those people now, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, um, we're very connected to our social following, which helps us a lot in determining what kind of content to write. So not only do we know a lot about our users, but we know what content has resonated with them in the past. So, um, you know, part of doing our research when we're starting to write content is to look back at what have we already done about this topic? How much traffic did it get? Did it get social shares? And what about it did people connect with? And can we make that better, you know, when we're repurposing it or writing something new but similar to content that we've already done? So before you ever start writing, you want to get all that research out of the way. Yeah, one of the things I do too is I'm not just looking at researching the topics that I'm actually going to be writing about, but I also think about what what do I enjoy. So I look outside of my typical vertical sphere and think about, okay, these are the things I go back to. Why do I enjoy these writers? What is it about these people that resonates with me and and I'll borrow things not just from the articles that are related to the topic but also from non-related whether it's a sense of humor or whether it's you know I've adopted there's a podcast I listen to that's not hotel related at all but the guy talks about um, tell people what you're going to tell them then tell them and then at the end recap what you just told them and that was something that wasn't anything related to what I'm writing about, but it, it was just a methodology that I really, it resonated with me and I've kind of infused into when I'm researching a topic, I make sure I think about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what about, so we do, we're talking about researching before we get getting started. Let's back up a little bit and talk about the environment. I know that's something that is really important to you, making sure that you have a an environment that is conducive to writing. So what are some thoughts related to that? So yeah, everybody has um, an environment that works for them depending on what they're working on at, at work. So when I'm writing, I like a certain kind of environment. I actually like to listen to music or um, you know, t- have all the noise drowned out so I can really pay attention to what I'm doing. And I heard a podcast recently, the author Michael Lewis, who wrote The Blind Side and Moneyball was talking about that he has kind of the same thing where he likes to listen to music and whenever he's writing something new, he makes a playlist specifically for that book that he's writing. And so he was he's working on a book right now and he created this playlist that's like Megan Trainer upbeat music and he said you know just hearing Megan Trainer makes him want to start typing on his keyboard because he's just really conditioned himself to that is his writing music for this. He's upcoming all about that bass. Apparently. Oh, <laughs> yes. See, like when I listen to music, I typically I'll go with something that doesn't have any lyrics. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there like that on Spotify you can search. But one that I found it's kind of weird, but it's most helpful for me. It's just an overwhelming sound of a box fan. And it you like, goes, like the white noise stuff. Yeah, it's, it's totally white noise, but yeah. it, it drowns out everything else around me. And I get into this little space that... I'm, I'm in just total concentration mode when I listen to box fan sound. <laughs> yeah, we... so I think everybody has to kind of find that thing that works for them. Yeah, I need to focus. I need no sound. But I shut my door. I make sure that no one's, I don't hear anything at all. But there's someone, one of the, um, one of our employees listens to random sounds on YouTube. 
You know, Ashley, she was talking the other day. What the was it? The ASMR. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yeah, so that's a thing that people do, which is weird to me because it doesn't work for me. But yeah, <laughs> there's different sounds you can listen to, like people folding sheets or tapping on desks. It's really, that's odd to me. Yeah, but there's a lot of weird if it works. stuff that works for her, does not work for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm personally like half the time I'll be at my desk and I'm like blaring music because Alyssa always looks over and is like, how are you not deaf? I still so don't know how you're not deaf. He can, I can hear, hear me from, from all the way across. The I was like blaring music. I'm in the zone. And then the other half of the time I'm like, Stuart, I need to go work from home because I can't get anything done here. I need to sit on my couch in like the dark and quiet you know, so I think it just, for me, it depends on the mood or what day it is. But I also think it is helpful if you do work in an office that is flexible like that to where if you are in a distracting open office and you just can't get anything done, having that flexibility or allowing your employees to have that flexibility, say, hey, really got to get this website content done. Do you mind if I go home? Just so they can have that freedom to have that space. Yeah, because I think, um, you know, writing is a process for people and being able to really dedicate a solid amount of time to it is really important. So once you get in the groove and you're really writing and you're, and it's the words are coming to you and they're flowing, you don't want to interrupt that every two seconds. So definitely having that spot that you can go to, whether it's a conference room or whether it's putting on those noise canceling headphones and blaring Megan Trainer into your ears, whatever it is, you got to find what works for you and, and really stick with that. Yeah. I think the time scheduling is, is critical for me and my process Sometimes I will schedule a conference room and just go there somewhere out of my normal distracting environment. And I always shut down Skype. I'll always turn off my emails, maybe put my, my phone on silence. Because when I am writing, I'm in the groove. The last thing I want is to get distracted and pulled out of it because it takes me so long to get back into that groove. All right, so we talked about research, but you know that, that's kind of the start of it. What, what about planning ahead, like thinking it through the whole way before you get started? So one thing um, I suggest to people, especially if they're really stuck on a topic and can't figure out how to start writing it, first try talking about it. So go talk to a coworker who's either knowledgeable or maybe even better yet, not knowledgeable about the topic and just talk it out with them. And that kind of helps you organize your thoughts, figure out how to engage somebody with this topic that you're trying to write about. So I think that's a really helpful way to get started and help you really plan out um, how to best convey what you're trying to convey to someone else. Yeah, one of the things I've run into before when I'm writing and I've finished and then I show it to someone is like, well, I I don't understand the building blocks that got you here. Like, because I'm I'm jumping from A to like M and N and I didn't fill in the gaps. And I I just make the assumption that, that... everyone has the same knowledge I have and I don't think about building a story and getting them from point A to point Z and uh, talking through it with someone is is how I get that highlighted how I realize they don't know what I'm actually talking about or how I jump to that conclusion right and so then the flip side of that you know you can talk about it before you start writing but then once you're into the writing and you feel, you know, especially if you're writing about something that might be kind of complex or hard to understand and you feel that maybe you're not getting your point across, reading it out loud is a really great way to instantly figure out if your writing is clunky because you'll hear it in your it, when you're reading it back to yourself. So it kind of sounds like it would be helpful to talk to someone who 
does know what you're writing about and you can get some pointers but it also would be helpful to talk to someone who has no idea did i explain this properly you know is there something that i missed that you still need to hear absolutely and even in terms of sentence structure you can hear when you're trying too hard Mm -hmm. so you start writing and you think man this sounds good until you say it out loud and it doesn't sound anything like it would sound if you were speaking to someone and you really want your writing to be conversational especially you know, in this space of hotel writing and destination marketing, you want somebody to feel at home. You don't want to make them feel as though you're talking down to them or being condescending. You want to be conversational with them. Yeah, and you don't want to sound jargony. That's the mistake a lot right. of people mm-hmm. or, or homogenized. Like you, you sound like everyone sounds. We have a two-bedroom queen suite that overlooks the ocean. It's like that that doesn't help anyone because you're just blending in with everyone else. Right. Really, write in a way that that makes somebody feel like they can they're talking to you yeah and, and telling you're telling a story you know and if you don't want to read it out loud if you're lazy like i am i just have the computer read it out you, you can have the the text to speech app on your on your every computer has now and it just reads it out in whatever accent you want it to read out to to you in and uh, that's how i do it when i whenever i've written anything like a long email or a blog post or whatever it is I just highlight the text, and I've created a shortcut that can just read it out to me. I'm going to change mine to British, so that way whatever I wrote just sounds instantly a little bit smarter and classier than it actually was. <laughs> You're saying was. Stuart sounds smarter and, and classier? And slightly more sarcastic. Right, exactly. <laughs> nice. A little condescending. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I'll say for me, the think it through, you know, you mentioned talking it out with somebody, which I feel like is definitely helpful, but I also like to, being a visual person, I like to you know, prepare an outline in advance just so I know that I'm hitting all the things that we had talked about or that, you know, if it's a process or if it's something I'm not as familiar with, you know, we definitely want to hit on these things. And we do this at Fuel too. We work with our um, developers and our programmers on content sometimes. And it's something that I'm not privy to and I'm not an expert at, but they're not as comfortable on the writing end. So we really do have to collaborate on that end to how could we communicate this in layman's terms, but make it come seem natural and that people can understand it so it is a process but i do think talking it out and writing it out and doing that outline definitely helps yeah and part of that is also setting your goals like what what are the points i want people to leave with what what are the takeaways from this before i start writing and have that kind of planned out and maybe even the flow the the like it's storytelling like i said so figure out the beginning the middle and the end but make sure you know when you're going to insert those big takeaways and then repeat them throughout the article to make sure that the right emphasis is in there. Definitely. See what I did with emphasis? I changed the emphasis. The wrong uh-huh. the emphasis. Very syllable. Very clever. It's okay. almost like you're British and smart and classy and sarcastic. I, hey, you know what it is? I feel like because Pete's not here today, someone's going to make the bad dad jokes. Ah, uh, thanks for stepping in. You're welcome. Excellent work. It's all for you Holding guys. it down. Yep. Someone's got to say especially. Well, you are the only other dad in the room, though, that we are aware of. Uh, This is true. (laughs) Bill's giving a look like, "Mm." Uh, maybe. Don't talk about my legitimate children on this podcast. 85% sure I'm not a dad. If you were born in the year 2008, (laughs) between 2008 and 2012, and don't know who your dad is, give us a call. It might be Phil. (laughs) (laughs) My wife will love that one. Yeah, because she's a regular listener to the podcast. (laughs) All right, so let's move on. Thanks, Cass. (laughs) 
I, I should have rescued that a little sooner. I apologize yeah, for being a little slow As the host, here. that was probably my job, but I wanted to see where it went. <laughs> it was Glad good. we went there. That's good. Right. Absolutely. So the most important thing next is to just start writing. And that you know, can be a little bit tricky, but once you've done your research, you're in a comfortable environment, you've talked it out with, with someone, you're ready to start writing. And the first few lines of any content are always the hardest to write. Um, like Stuart said before, I came from a journalism background, so we always talked about you know writing a, a captivating lead. The first paragraph of your article should be the one that draws people in. And then sometimes it's really hard to come up with that thing. So if you can't come up with it, just skip that part. Start in the middle. Just start writing somewhere, and you can always come back and add to it later, rearrange it. Um, you know, we get so stuck in the, I can't come up with anything that, um, we forget to just, you know, let, let our writing flow and, and see where it goes. From I there. totally need to do that. I rewrite my first paragraph of everything I write like nine times. If, I'd probably be so much better off if I just wrote and then fixed the beginning. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the mistake I always used to make is I wanted every line to be perfect the yes. first time. And I would spend an hour and I've written a paragraph and I'm like man how many times have I rewritten that and probably one of the one of the middle iterations was probably better than what I ended up with anyway so now what I do is I just write in and just get it all out every thought just dump it on the page and then listen back to it and then go and edit it and the first draft is crap nine out of ten but through an iterative process it gets better every time yeah, so most people would feel the same way that when they start writing, when they look at the original form, they're not happy with it. But that gives you a good starting point to start tinkering and and move on to your best work. I'll give you a really fun example that I was actually just talking to Phil about the other day. So we write a lot of blogs for our hotel clients. And sometimes we're just we're writing so much content that you're just like, I can't write content anymore. Like you start to feel like you're going a little bit crazy. And I was writing an article about the top delis in a destination. So I'd done all this research on like all the delis near the hotel. And then um, it was the title was like top sandwich shops or something alliterative and clever. And I wrote the intro and then I was going back and reading the intro. And it was one of those like, I sound like a lunatic because the first sentence was sandwiches deep yet complex they can be anything you want it's when you're trying way too hard <laughs> this is way you're just right but it was when it was like i just have to start like... writing i just have to get this out like i just wrote the intro and then made my list but then i went back and yes this was terrible hilarious and terrible and i took a little break went back took a breather had somebody read it for me had you know went wine. through that process get that reread and a laugh yeah that's where reading it out loud comes yeah. in handy too because you read it and go yeah i would yeah. never say this i think in real i actually life. Saw, i was on my time hop because i was so amused i like tweeted it out or something so it was like a year ago the other day and i was like ah phil remember <laughs> that day that i was going crazy one of the many days that i go crazy <laughs> we should store a bank of all the bad writing that we have Ugh. and then just read it out to each other in the Christmas party or something. We actually do that with um, with some writers who are no longer on the team. Mm. There are people that the way they write is so distinctive that when you find an old piece of content, you go, 
Oh, oh. yeah, I can totally tell who wrote yeah. this. So we have a file of all of that person stuff that we've now edited out of our website. <laughs> and, and no, you can't see nice. it. <laughs> no, you cannot see it. Can we Some of it, it is pretty bad. Be like WikiLeaks. I may, I may be able to provide you with a couple of gems from it. <laughs> we appreciate that. Like hatred for cauliflower. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cass, I've known you for a long time, and probably one of the best pieces of advice you have ever given me, and something I've taken to heart, is this next one, which is everybody needs an editor. It's so true. And, and most people... You know, if you're listening to this podcast and trying to get feedback on your content writing, then you probably are already open to the idea that you need an editor. But a lot of people who write for a living or, um, you know, feel as though they are really great writers, they don't think that they need someone to edit them. And it's just not true. Everybody needs somebody to look at it and tell you there's a gaping hole in your logic here. There's information that's not adding up or you suck at spelling and everybody needs that person or sandwiches are not that complex yeah. correct <laughs> i always i always take my content to misha read this one time make sure i didn't sound stupid yeah. or i'll send that to you yeah. or Alyssa, or just somebody else like it anybody helps. else yeah and i do that too i mean i've been writing for a long time but i don't publish or send out an email you know to our database of people I don't do anything without somebody else looking at it first because you never know when you're going to make a boneheaded spelling mistake that changes the word public to pubic I was as literally I did, just thinking that as I did once in a headline when I worked for the newspaper or you know there's just so many times where you can either mess up accidentally or just have content that doesn't resonate or doesn't land or doesn't truly explain what you're trying to explain. So you need somebody else to look at it and say, yeah, this makes sense and this is good. I feel like when I do it, a lot of the times, I know what I meant to say. I understand what that meant, but somebody else reads it and they're, ooh, like kind of that, that sentence doesn't make any sense. How about you rewrite that one? That's why definitely those things why you need an editor. Right. Yeah, and I think you've got to seek that feedback sometimes. you got to actually tell people set the stage because if you just send it to someone and say what do you think they might be polite but you want them to be brutally honest and you want them to tell you you really suck you know or you completely miss this whatever it is you want people to be honest so so set the stage pr- appropriately tell them you're not going to get your feelings hurt and just hit me square in the nose with the truth yeah and if you have to go cry in your office about it later then you just go weep quietly under your desk because of all the criticism <laughs> that has been heaped upon you by your Sounds honest like you're talking co-workers. from experience here, Cass. No. Sounds a little personal. No, right? not at all. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you're writing, you're not writing for yourself. I mean, unless this is your your opus or whatever that you... Um, writing your requiem. Right, that you're going to put out into the world. But if you're writing content for your job, for your blog, you, it's not for you. It's for whoever's going to be consuming it. So having... Somebody that you know and trust consume it first and tell you how it is and what needs work on it. I mean, it just makes perfect sense yeah, it's before better you put for, it out there into the world. It's better for one person to think it sucks than everyone in your hmm. visit yeah. to see your website. Right. You'd rather have your friend tell you this is terrible than read about it in the comment section in two weeks when you go back to say, ooh, I wonder if anybody liked this content. Or then realize that you you know, made some really boneheaded Yeah, like just typing mistakes like, like you were just talking about. Man, like those, those will 
burn you because you know, oh man, 8,500 people saw that before I got to make that change. Yeah, because like, <laughs> you see it all the time where you'll see a news article on Facebook and you see, wow, that has a lot of comments. And you look and all the comments are about some crazy mistake the author made instead of mm. anything about the meat of the article. And, and sometimes that can be avoided by just taking that, that time to let someone else look at it. Yeah, editing is all important. It is. So let, let's jump ahead and, and talk about, you know, I think a lot of people's issue related to content is the paranoia that they have. And they think that on their own, that no one else is going through the same things or having the same thoughts they are. But Cass, can you reassure these people that they're not in isolation, that they're doing the same thing everyone else does? They are. I mean, everybody has an inner critic. So if you think you're a great writer your inner critic says, well, you might not be as good as you think you are, or this nice piece, this next piece you do may not land as well as the previous one you did. So you're, if you think you're a great writer, you're still trying to impress yourself and others into continuing to believe that you're a great writer. And if you're new at writing, then you think, I'm not good at this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so everybody has that inner critic that so tells what, you, you kind of suck. So what, what are some things you can do to, to deal with that inner critic, knowing that it exists? I mean, you just have to get through it. You just have to tell your inner critic to, you know, buzz off and keep <laughs> buzz writing. Off. Yes! This is a PG <laughs> podcast. Buzz <laughs> off is kind of strong, Cass. I, I was trying to take it down to G level. <laughs> Um, I think you you told me before, I think once, um, because I I asked you a lot about writing. I think you're one of the best writers I know, so I'm always asking, soliciting your opinion. But you told me once, give your critic, inner critic, a name and label it, and that way you can kind of acknowledge it as existing and then push it to one side. Yeah, you mean you just tell Joe your inner critic or Mm -hmm. whatever you decide to call or whatever form your kind of inner critic takes. You just, you know, you, you really speak to him and you say, I'm I'm good at this. And, yeah. and you can visualize Joe and punch him in the face if he's talking too loud. Or day. you can bury Joe with wine. I've heard that works too. <laughs> or beer. I feel like wine is the solution to all your problems, Misha. Pretty much. <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah, I've got a flat tire. Wine will fix that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, what's that? Uh, that perfume or whatever, Black Panther. Like 67% oh, yeah. of the time, it works all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Wine is your black panther. Sure, yeah. Excellent. And so what else? What else do, does everyone have to deal with? So we all get writer's block. We all have that point, like we talked about earlier, where you're staring at a blank screen and nothing's coming to you and you have a deadline or you have a boss who's saying, weren't you supposed to write this blog post a week ago? And, you know, when you, especially when you're under pressure like that, you're just... You got nothing. And um, that's where some of the tactics we talked about earlier come in handy. Um, but just start writing. That's the biggest one. And everybody kind of goes through that. I will say this worked for me today because I've had a task all week that I'm like, I'll get to it today. I'll get to it today. Sorry, Stuart, the Panda Planner. I rolled it over to the next day. Just I could not wrap my head around doing this. If, if you're doing the Panda Planner properly, the one that doesn't get done the day before is the first one you do the next I know, week. but then I, I didn't do it. So I just couldn't. It was writing content for social media, and I just could not. Like, I just could not. And this afternoon, I was like, I have to do this. I have a deadline. 
the account manager is going to come over here and strangle me in person if I don't get this done. So I sat down, I had my headphones in, turned on some music, I and could I hear it. busted out some content, <laughs> and it is done. And yeah, I sent it to get some feedback, tweaked a few things. So the process does work if you follow the process. It definitely does. And then, so everybody overthinks what they're doing. We've kind of touched on this already, but just... You know, you kind of get stuck inside your own head. You have to find a way to kind of push past that using the tactics we talked about. But don't feel like you're the only one staring at a blank screen or you're the only one overcomplicating something that shouldn't be that complicated. This happens to everybody who writes anything or produces any kind of content, whether it's video, photography. I mean, photographers are some of the biggest overthinkers you'll ever meet. So that is definitely something that people struggle with. I feel feeling like that's my biggest problem. And that's probably why I bug you way too much. Does this sound stupid? And half the time I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. You need to change that. And that's, that's where having an honest friend who will edit you <laughs> is very helpful. Yeah, you know one, one uh, medium where people don't overthink it? It, the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, we, <laughs> we barely think at all. We just kind of spurt random nonsense and then put it out as a podcast. You're it's welcome. Great. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. What, it's not humble enough for you? <laughs> yeah, if, they were, if, if they were really thankful, they'd be leaving more reviews. But oh, please. Was it, I thought we were done with shameless plugs. <laughs> That's not that a plug. Was a guilt That's trip. more of a guilt trip. Yeah. Okay, all right. It's more of a hey, we're giving out this free, valuable content every week. And nobody we... sent me wine yet. What? <laughs> the least you can do is leave us a review. Right, the next least greedy. you can do is send me your wine. Reviews are free. You're asking for wine. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hey, if you have a choice, review or wine, we don't care which one it is. Just pick one and do it this week. That would be greatly appreciated. Hey, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And Me and nothing, my cats look forward to drinking a lot of free wine. Nothing says love more than leaving a review for the Fuel Hoods on my podcast. Right, Cass is looking at us like, what are you guys doing right now? <laughs> so you want to continue with your content discussion? I think we're about to wrap it up. Mostly, you know, kind of stick to all the tips that we talked about before. Nothing's ever perfect. Um, you're never going to finish your website's content. You're always going to be refreshing it. You're going to be looking back at it and making improvements to it. Things are gonna change in your industry or your property or your city that you're constantly having to write about. So, you know, once you put that content out there, you don't have to feel as though you can't make changes to it or as though, oh, we didn't really do a great job on that. Okay, we'll fix it. You have, that's the beauty of the interwebs is that you can go fix things later. Um, You can continue to improve upon it. You can continue to hone your writing skills and and make things better. So. Make it 10x. Yeah, make so, it 10x. So that's kind of related. We had a, a, a listener question that came in from Warren E. And he asked, if I'm creating content for a specific annual event, whether that's you know a New Year's Eve special or a local event in my area, should I create a new piece of content each year? Or should I update the the previous year's one? How, how do you guys handle that with MyrtleBeach.com? The way we approach it at MyrtleBeach.com, and I think you know this has kind of um, evolved over the years. We've done it different ways. But we update content that already exists because we know it's successful. We can look at our analytics tools, and I recommend hopefully that everybody's doing that. You can tell how many people have viewed it, whether it's been shared. When you know the content works, 
I would not reinvent that wheel, but I would improve upon it every year. I would make sure I update it every year. So, um, and don't just go through the motions, actually update it. Go do research again, make sure nothing has changed. Um, we find a lot of times that something that was a 10 year tradition doesn't exist anymore. So you wanna make sure that you're really paying attention to any changes that have happened, but I definitely recommend that people stick with the content they have and improve upon it, update it, maybe add a video this year, maybe add a photo gallery this year, anything you can do to make it better, get it to that 10X quality. And from an SEO perspective, it it makes sense to do it that way. <clears throat> you have, I know MyrtleBeach.com has a really killer 4th of July post that you guys get decent traffic from. So instead of doing 2016, 2017, 2018 4th of July, you keep that authority on your one 4th of July page and you update that year to year, right? And yes. I think that's important to note too when you have something that is an annual event, making sure that the year isn't necessarily in the URL. You can add it to your title or within the blog, you want to make sure your dates are updated, but within that URL, just so it remains consistent every year, just having the title of the event and not the year in there because if people are searching for July 4th this year, Google's not going to serve them something that has 2016, 2015, 2014 in the URL. So aside from just writing, you know, I think we've talked about, we've had episodes about SEO and taking it to the next level. So that's kind of the next step, but it's something to keep in mind when you're doing that writing. For sure. All right. And then Cass, tell me a little bit about how you guys approach, you know, we, we've talked a little bit on the show about content calendars. So how does your team approach, you know, you're writing multiple blog posts every week, like I mean, it's hundreds of blog posts a year, plus you're updating things like profile pages. There's a lot of content, plus you're maintaining, you know, a Facebook fan base of over 600,000 fans and you're managing Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff. So how do you guys approach it from an organizational standpoint to make sure that, that nothing falls through the cracks and that you're, you're staying sharp, you're, you're being creative in terms of what you're producing? Um, you know, it's a lot to keep up with and, and we do have some ways that we try to keep ourselves organized. So we'll, we have, we like to use Google Docs because it's easy for us to share and update and you know everybody be able to be on the same page. But I think you, know, you can choose whatever works best for your organization. That's what we choose to use. So we have a calendar. We know that we're posting you know, five days a week. We know what's coming up. We fill in that calendar at the beginning of the year with any recurring events that we know we need to write about. Any blog posts that are, you know, highly trafficked, evergreen kind of content, content that people search for year round, we make sure we put it into that content calendar again every year so we go back and touch every single piece of content. We make sure it's up to date. We make sure nothing's changed on it. So that keeps us organized and make sure that we keep all the content on the site fresh and that we're not letting anything slip through the cracks. And, and so then we do that for our social posts. You guys leave you guys leave yourself some space too because you're always on, hey, this just happened. This is happening this week. And if it's new news, I mean, you guys are covering that. So you must leave some space in your calendar for that, right? We do. And I think, um, you know, maybe because of my journalism background, but I love to break news or I love to at least be on the front side of breaking news and in a destination like Myrtle Beach where people um, you know, really have a deep 
affection for this area, they can't get enough news from Myrtle Beach. As long as it's something to do with a major attraction, they want to know about it as soon as it happens. So um, to us, that's a fun part of our job. That's something that we look forward to is something news going on. We'll go out and cover it um, on the fly. A lot of people don't have that you know, don't have the team to do that and that's okay, but you want to be relevant and stay fresh and, um, you know, get to things as soon as you can. So what, what about in terms of your team, do you have a frequency that you meet in terms of brainstorming and, and just planning? Um, yeah, I mean, we have a calendar by which we meet. So we'll meet once a week to just talk about, this is the content that we've created in the past week. We'll look at all of our videos. We look at them, obviously, as they're going live, but we'll look at them again and just kind of see what we liked about it. At this point, hopefully we'll have some feedback from viewers or some numbers on how many people have looked at it. That helps us determine whether we think it was a success or if maybe it needed some improvement. Um, so we meet once a week and talk about everything we've done the previous week and everything that we have coming up. So. What videos are we shooting? What's our idea for that video? How do we think it's gonna look? And so we give each other feedback and then um, the content producers go out and do their jobs and then the next week we do it all over again. So we'll look at those pieces of content and kind of what's coming up. And then once a month or so, we'll do a brainstorm session and really think about, okay, let's don't just fill in the blanks on this calendar. Let's think about anything that's coming up that might be a big deal that we should be paying attention to or something cool we saw on another website that we want to try to replicate for our site. So we try to be creative and, and give ourselves time to do those kind of projects too. Awesome stuff. Well, great. Hopefully you listening at home have really in, have learned something from Cassidy and her approach to content and We'd love to hear your feedback if you want to leave us a review or comment on this actual episode of the podcast. But before we leave, Phil, where can they find you on the web? You can find me at Twitter at PFariska. It's P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And Misha. You can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That's at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And Cassidy. You can find me at MyrtleBeach.com. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash MyrtleBeach. And you can always email us at info at MyrtleBeach.com. Is there a Twitter handle too? It's Myrtle Beach. At Myrtle Beach. At Myrtle Beach. That's pretty That's handy us. to have. It is super handy. And you can find me at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. You can get us on the web at FuelTravel.com. And you can get the podcast notes to at FuelTravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 42. And don't forget to go download that new website behavior study at fueltravel.com slash website study. And please, 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 if you have any love in your heart this Valentine's Day, then go and either leave a review for us on iTunes or send Misha some wine. Yes. You want to give them the address again? Sure. It's 3023 Church Street, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 29577. And don't forget, if you do leave a review, then we are going to read it out in its entirety on the show. So until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Hey, Misha, do you have a date for Valentine's Day? Yes, February 14th. <laughs> <laughs> oh.